How do I know what I think until I see what I say? I'm your host, Jacob Goronsky, and welcome to From the Green Notebook, where we create leaders one podcast at a time. So if you don't feel like reading a blog today, then sit back and listen as we discuss some of the most important topics and talk with some of the most innovative leaders of today. So please subscribe and make sure you listen to these exclusive episodes. Today's episode is sponsored by Emblem Athletic, the best option out there for keeping your unit looking amazing with custom shirts, hoodies, and other gear. They're a veteran-owned business that specializes in making it easy for you. And if you've ever ordered unit gear, you know how difficult it can be. Emblem knows you have better things to do than design gear, collect money, and worst of all, sort through a bunch of shirts. Emblem takes care of everything, including, get this, free shipping worldwide. When it comes to something like a deployment shirt, you know you're going to have this for the rest of your life. So trust Emblem to deliver the best, guaranteed. Visit www.emblemathletic.com to get started with a free online store today. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on where you're listening from, and welcome to another episode of From the Green Notebook. Today we're sitting down with author Shannon Huffman Polson, who recently published The Grit Factor, Courage, Resilience, and Leadership in the Most Male-Dominated Organization in the World. Shannon's also a veteran and one of the first female Apache attack helicopter pilots. So I'll be honest, I was having a difficult time with this intro. I was trying so hard to get the point across that Shannon's accomplishments should be lauded because of their merit and not because of her gender. But the fact of the matter is you can't separate the two, because although what Shannon has achieved would be a spectacular feat for anyone, It is more extraordinary because she is a woman. And because of that, as unfortunate as it may be, Shannon had to endure additional obstacles to reach her goals. Whether it be subtle things such as a look or a passing comment, or more blatant examples like instructors directly telling Shannon they were uncomfortable with her because she's female. And what's even more concerning is the fact that Shannon's work today is still important and still relevant because women are still facing those challenges. So ultimately... I've decided to let Shannon and this episode speak for themselves, so our listeners can determine what kind of person and what kind of leader Shannon Huffman Polson really is. So please welcome to the show, Shannon Huffman Polson. Maybe you can just start off, Shannon, by telling us a little bit about Grit. Um, I know you recently just published a book, you know, how it came about and where you see it going in the future. Yeah, Jacob, thanks so much. It's great to be with you both and wonderful to be able to introduce The Grit Factor to you. It just released in September from Harvard Business Review Press. And the subtitle is Courage, Resilience, and Leadership in the Most Male-Dominated Organization in the World. It's been a huge honor to bring this into the world, not because it's based on my own experience, although that's certainly part of it, but because I had the opportunity to go out and talk to leaders in the vanguards of their field. So these are happen to be women, they happen to be military, they span the services, they span generations, uh, several generations until today. And, uh, and it came about really because a number of years ago, I had a chance to be one of the first women to fly the Apache helicopter in the United States Army. And I led two flight platoons and a flight company on three different continents, and then transitioned at the end of my service time through an MBA the talk school at Dartmouth and had a chance to lead outstanding teams in the corporate world as well at, um, in both the medical device and the technology fields. 
And then I left that world to write my first book, which is called North of Hope. Uh, Grit is definitely a big part of it. It's a much more personal story and it's not military, but certainly had a lot of grit that was required. And I started to do this work then with companies that combine the creative element with leadership and operational excellence. That's really my sweet spot. That And I found that passion to go out and deliver keynotes, being able to go out and work with companies on leadership journeys and really try to find a way to pull these key themes of grit and resilience and leadership forward in a way that used story and tactical application. And it's been amazing to see it transform people's lives and transform cultures. So that's really why I have been so excited to bring the grit factor forward. It was at the bequest of a young lieutenant who wanted me to mentor her. I felt like I just had my own experience to draw on. And it had been so long ago that I really wanted to be able to scale what I offered to her. And then doing that work, be able to scale the people to whom it was available. So this is the grit factor. And I'm excited to see where it goes as well. Shannon, we're excited to see where the grit factor goes too. I read it back in September and I found the book valuable, not just as a leader because of the, you know, you have a lot of great exercises throughout the book for introspection and self-reflection. But one of the things, you know, you interviewed a lot of women who were the first in their fields. And now that we're transitioning as an army, you know, women um, are coming into combat arms branches, infantry, armor, cab units. What advice would you give for leadership on both sides, both men and women, to make this integration successful? Joe, that's uh, the perfectly phrased question because it really is about both men and women. It's about the whole cohort coming together to really make these integrations a success. And I think there are many factors that go into that for sure. But number one is understanding that everybody brings strengths to the table that a diverse set of strengths only makes you better able to stay mission focused and to accomplish your mission in uh, in a meaningful way. So when you come in with that approach, I think that that is going to set you up for success. Now, The Grit Factor is definitely a book that I wrote wishing that I had had that available to me when I, but not only as a young leader, but also as a leader transitioning into other challenges, other areas of opportunity, various organizations. So at any point where there's change or inflection, there's challenge, right? There's difficulty, there's things to overcome. And the grit factor is what I wished I'd had available to me. So I hope that both the men and the women making these integrations a success will start with reading the grit factor for sure. And that will lay out a number of exercises that I think will probably be very helpful. In the grit factor, you talk a lot about mentoring. We talk a lot about mentoring on the show and how important that is. And you talk a lot about female and Uh, mentoring females. What advice or encouragement would you give to males when it comes to mentoring, not only being mentored by females, but also mentoring females? Yeah. And that is also such a good question because one of the things that comes out in the grip factor, especially from some of the more senior officers who certainly were typically mentored in some way or another, is that there was a tendency to want to pair women together in mentorship relationships. And At the end of the day, the mentorship relationship is best when it is a reciprocal relationship. Both parties learn from each other. Um, Oftentimes, it doesn't need to be the same gender that is paired. And oftentimes, it will be better for both parties. They'll learn more from each other when there is a pairing of a man and a woman in a mentorship relationship. So I think there are real opportunities there that shouldn't be missed. One of the things that comes up uh, in one specific example, and I think is really instructive for any consideration of mentorship, is that there needs to be something that brings you together, like some commonality where you're going to have a relationship. And that relationship is a mentoring relationship. But 
you should have some reason, some chemistry, some common interest, some, something shared that can bring you together to make that relationship successful. The biggest piece of that, I think, is to be sure that you do ensure that women that are integrating into these all-male fields have male mentors as well as female mentors, and both are important. Key factor in mentoring is those one-on-one conversations. I remember coming up, just talking with different guy leaders. There's some apprehension there about going behind closed doors with another woman in the unit. And so, you know, what would you say to those men who, you know, are, are kind of putting up roadblocks to mentorship because they're, they're putting things up that they don't necessarily need to be there? Yeah. And I understand there, there are some times or maybe some circumstances that might make someone feel a little bit uncomfortable. There is an aspect of needing to push past your own discomfort. So I think that's a big piece of it. And understand that being a leader means leading diverse teams. And that means you're going to way to get comfortable with some things that you might not have been earlier on. But I would also say, just be creative. I can give you about 10 examples or 10 opportunities probably right here about how to have a one-on-one conversation where you don't have any concerns. And number one, find some place with a glass door, right? Go to a food court. And so you can sit on the edge of the food court, go for a walk or go for a run together or walk down the flight line in, in the case of aviation, right? There's, there's so many great ways to have that connection if you really do have some sort of a deep-seated concern because of the circumstance. But absolutely, it's not acceptable to in any way leave those women that are being brought into the unit out of ownership development opportunities that are there for the men. It has to be something that is at least equally applied, if not um, given maybe even more attention given the challenges that are inherent in that, um, in that integration. Yeah, I can remember when I was a young airman and I first started supervising individuals, my first female troop, you know, I had a conversation with and I, I you know, a standard practice was to ask all of my airmen where they lived and have conversations. And you mentioned asking questions and find those commonalities. So when I ask a guy airman where he lived, there was no discomfort there. But when I asked a female, I thought to myself, well, I don't want to make her uncomfortable. So how do you find that common ground and still stay within that comfort level of both parties? Yeah, well, I mean, recognize, I think, too, that everybody is um, is at least on their journey to mature adulthood. Right. And so I think uh, being forthright with your concerns is absolutely fine. And I think that is something where you can even say, look, I feel a little uncomfortable asking you this because. I don't want it to come across the wrong way, but I would typically ask a, a, a male airman where he lives so I know where to go for an emergency. And I want to make sure that I'm asking you those same questions. And I think it's completely fine to own any dispute you might have. And, and honestly, as soon as you put it out there, as soon as you name it, it kind of dissipates, right? So that's what I would recommend is just being super honest. I remember an example, actually, after the military, working at Microsoft for a guy that was a, he was a great boss. He was a Dutch guy. And the Dutch tend to be pretty forthright. And I remember him at one point inviting me, other people to go skiing on the weekend. And then he called me into his office and he said, I don't want that to feel strange to you. You know, I just wanted to make sure you felt included with this group and had the opportunity to join us. And it was very nice that he, he owned that and he put it out there and it wasn't weird. And I think he dissipated any concern that there could have been if there was any. So just being honest and forthright, I think, is, is really the opportunity. In our previous podcast, we talked with Adam Robinson. And one of the things that he said that was so important to leadership was listening and good listening skills. And that you really need to give you know, the person you're talking to your full attention, undivided attention. Could you maybe just cover a little bit? I know you mentioned in your book also how important that is. Could you maybe talk a little bit about that for us? 
Yeah, for sure. You know, the stories and the lessons that were shared by these incredible leaders that I had the chance to talk to for the grit factor really formed the backbone of the grit factor. And it breaks out into three phases. It's really the whole leader concept, right? It's not looking at grit as this discrete thing that you take off the shelf and shelf. It's really part of the fabric of our being. And so it breaks out into three sections, commit, learn, and launch. Commit is this deep internal work of own own story and drilling down to core purpose. The learning part is where the listening ended up sitting. And that includes, by the way, drawing your circle, building your team. It also includes some work on mindset. But this thing that came out that was most surprising to me, honestly, and it came out with every conversation with a senior officer, is that listening is one of the most strategic leadership skills that you, you've got to learn. And, and probably not just for senior officers. Start as soon as you can, because it's a tough one. And that is really the art and the science of active listening. And what I sort of love about this is it's getting a little bit of play in leadership and management uh, publications as well, the importance of active listening. But I also went back and looked at this, this old field manual that's called Military Leadership. And it, it really talks through the, the physical attributes of turning yourself, your, your body towards a listener, of quieting your body, of making eye contact, um, you know, repeating things back. And um, I don't want to give the FM too much credit without it being in front of me, but I was pretty impressed that that is something that was in that old field manual, but it's also something that has been identified as so critical and also lacking in a lot of leadership today. One other thing you talk about in the grit factor is knowing your story. And it seems like you knew your story pretty early on. You talked about an experience when I believe you were 21 in ROTC and a colonel had told you that you'd never fly an attack helicopter. And it seems like from that point on, you knew your story and you did a fantastic job at not only knowing your story, but, but creating your story. So what do you tell our listeners who possibly do not know their story right now or know their story, but they're not in a good enough position to maybe write their story or create a narrative for their story? Yeah, that is a really good question. And first of all, I would say I did not really know my story that well at the time. I was just somewhat uh, impetuous and uh, pretty frustrated at somebody telling me I couldn't do something when I knew that I could, I had performed well and was going to continue to perform well. So that was maybe the extent to which I was connected to my story, which is certainly, I hope, continued to evolve in, in its nuance as I've gotten older. I would say for any young leader, there's this opportunity to really go back. And this is actually true for any senior leader as well, at leadership at any level, because most of us don't go back to do that deep internal work to really say, hey, what is my storyline of my life? What are those key points, those key inflection points where I really learned something, where something may have changed, where maybe there was a pivot, maybe it was a challenge, maybe it was a success, but where are those points? And then what did I learn at each of those inflection points? And then the exercise that I give at the end of chapter one in the grit factor, you then go back and assign values as well to each of those learnings at each of those inflection points. So if you go back and you do that work, I think you start to see patterns and you can start to see values emerge, which become, I mean, they are the most important parts of our lives, right? Is staying connected to those values. And then chapter two really takes that further and drills down into core purpose. So For a young person or a young leader or a young military member who doesn't feel like they have a lot of control over their circumstance, and we often don't in the military, right? Doing that deep internal work does give us a connection to what matters the most, to those core values, to that core purpose. And that allows you to then have a foil against which you can 
hold any kind of decisions you might be making. I mean, I think at the end of the day, it really gives you the motivation to continue to work hard, even if something feels really challenging or really unfair or not quite what you thought you'd be doing. Because, and, you know, this is borrowing from Tom Peters now, who's that's been around for decades, but, you know, excellence is the next five seconds, right? Excellence is the next five minutes. It's whatever you're doing right now. You need to do an outstanding job at what you're doing now. And that's going to set you up for the success later. And you may not know your story when you're 19 years old or 24 years old or 44 years old, right? But it is continuing to engage listening, building your team and having that right mindset to really do the best at what it is that you're working on right now that will help you refine the direction of that narrative. We talk about that in one of our other podcasts as well and just being present in the moment. So I love that answer. So let's exemplify this uh, if we could then. Could you tell me something that you've learned about yourself over the past three, six months, year that has really helped you grow as a, as a person and as a leader? The last three to six months? Wow. Uh, well, the last doesn't three have to be three to six been... months. Could be year. Could be you know just recently something that you've learned about yourself that's helped you grow. <laughs> yeah, sure. No, absolutely. You know, it's interesting because in the book, in the I give this example of and explain why it's so important to drill down into core purpose. And it, you know, everyone talks about starting with why, and why is a great place to start, but it doesn't go nearly far enough. So I give you an exercise that drills much farther down into what really matters. I think of it as core purpose or heart purpose. So that's in the book, and I, I highly recommend it. Really be tra- been transformative in clients' lives in the last few months. But one of the things I've learned about myself is as I give the example in keynotes and in this work that I do with organizations, when I drill down to this, this heart level, this, this core purpose, I get to this idea of service and certainly important to me. And there's no question that that still is important to me. It's still a core purpose, but it's not the only thing. It wasn't strong enough to keep me in the military after my eight years of active, right? And two years of guard. So what is it and how can you try to look at some of the nuances of that? And so this has just been in the last six months and I'm starting to do this with as well is a, a couple of different exercises that identify a few different areas of core purpose that sometimes might align to different roles that we play as well. Because now I'm a mom, I have two kids, they're seven and 10, you know, I have a wonderful husband, I um do a lot of work in the community and I do a lot of creative work. And I was starting to realize if I look at this in a slightly more nuanced way, I can explain some of these past decisions in a way that simply drilling down to one core purpose does. And so I've come up with this small suite of four things that are really much more an example of who I am and what matters most to me and what I should hold up a decision against uh, than simply where the core purpose got me. So I think that was really doing the work of the grip factor and COVID as well. I will say we're homeschooling the two boys as well as working um, full-time and uh, working remotely. And those challenges lead you into some of that. And they should lead you into some of that introspection that can really help you to illuminate some things that you might not have been aware of before. Shannon, you mentioned, um, you mentioned COVID and you mentioned um, two kids. You know, I was talking to another leader the other day, and she was just talking about some of the struggles she's had as being a commander and being a mom and being a wife. What have you learned through the process as far as like couples navigating who does what at home? Because that, that's kind of changed a little bit now with, with COVID. A lot of child care centers are closed. Those are important conversations people are having right now. 
they're critical conversations, right? And I think it is something that is um, has become a real crisis, especially for women in the workplace over the past six, nine months. I'm really fortunate that I married a pretty amazing guy, actually not just pretty amazing, but totally amazing. We're able to have these conversations. We both respect each other's work and we both respect the fact that we very highly prize education for our children. And so we are in active conversation nearly daily about how we can both be supportive of making that kind of education that we think our kids need to have a reality. And that means we both need to adjust our schedules and make sacrifices and do what needs to get done to make the mission. I think it is really important for couples to have those conversations and to respect each other's work. And I think, unfortunately, there's elements of our women have really been taking on the lion's share in a way that has hugely disrupted their ability to contribute in the workforce. And uh, that's a real problem. So yeah, we're having the right partner to spend my life with who has respect for this kind of a challenge and is willing to engage in that with me. Yeah. Not everybody has that. So it really is great that you, you do have a supporting partner like that. And my wife is the same way. We moved to North Carolina and I took a job here at Fort Bragg because she wanted to be a stay at home mom. And that was her choice. After three years, my son is four now. She said, okay, I want to go back to work. So I said, great. So she went back to work. And now that this COVID has kicked off and things are completely different, she continually says to me, you need to make sure your work is, is priority. And it's not, right? She, her job is just as, as much of a priority, even though she hasn't been doing it as long. So I guess my question is, do you think that this COVID situation may possibly push women back in their efforts towards equality, or do you think it will help them or somewhere in between? I think the statistics are already out on that. It's already a problem. I mean, I don't remember the number that I just read today, but at least one and a half million women not in the workforce that were beforehand because of the childcare. It is a, an identified problem and an identified challenge. I think it really is an opportunity for couples to try to really work that out, figure out how to support each other. I can't make anybody believe in that kind of equality. I, I just, I hope for a society where we'll get closer to that, but there's no question that it is holding women back disproportionately. Just wanted to take a moment and thank our newest sponsor, Alpha Coffee Company, a veteran-owned business whose coffee is premium, 100% freshly roasted Arabica coffee. Since their founding, Alpha Coffee has donated over 18,500 bags of coffee to deployed troops. They also offer 10% military discounts and 10% discounts for subscriptions. So purchase their coffee today from their online store or via Amazon Prime. You know, when I found out we were going to have you on the show, I was so excited. And I actually Googled, I don't know why I did, but it came to me to Google the greatest leaders of all time. And when I did that, you'd be surprised, or you probably wouldn't be surprised, but there is a lack of women leaders, you know, considered greatest leaders of all times. And I think the only one out of the top 20 or so was Margaret Thatcher. How do we get mm. the, the world and, and people to realize that there's so many great women leaders out there that belong on that list and should be on that list? And how do we change that view? I'm really glad you're asking that because one of the things that I talk about, if we are going down a conversation that is more around diversity, is the importance of story are told in so many ways. They're told in the examples we give of great leadership, they're told in the pictures that we have on the walls at the battalion or at the company or organization. 
they're told in who we refer to casually or not. They're told in the quotes that we use when we write an article. And it absolutely astounds me that there are still panels that are only white male or only male or that there are articles written that only quote men. When I first wrote The Grifter, I actually didn't want there to be anything about men or women on the book at all. I was like, look, this is a leadership book. It's for everybody. And the publisher had absolutely the right perspective on how to position it. Uh, they were, they're much smarter than I am on that. But at the same time, I realized like, if you pick up any book on leadership and it only talks about men, nobody will even blink. But if you picked up a leadership book and it only referenced women, people are going to make this really big deal about it. And why should it be such a big deal? I think what is possible is, um, and I think it's tremendous, actually, is if leaders really go out of their way, because women don't tell their stories as much. We're sort of conditioned not to. We're conditioned to be more modest. We're often judged harshly if we do promote ourselves. I think for men and for male leaders who want to help to make a difference, educating themselves and telling those stories actively, like going out of their way to tell those stories, whether you're in front of a formation or whether you're in front of a business meeting or whether you're writing an article has a tremendous opportunity to change the cultural understanding of women as leaders because they're out there and they're doing it, but they're not talking about themselves. Usually they might get one headline and then it goes away. So male leaders have a real opportunity women, number one, themselves, and and also to share those stories in a way that helps to change the cultural conversation. It's a really critical opportunity for positively impacting diversity. That's a great point, Shannon. I worked with somebody, uh, one of the women I worked with this past year, she recommended a biography to me, and it was about um, Queen Isabella of Spain. Isabella grew mm-hmm. up hearing stories of Joan of Arc, who'd only died about two decades before Queen Isabella was born. You know, the stories were of Joan of Arc's courage, her leadership that inspired her. Um, Isabella seized the throne at age 23 and went on to unite Spain. And that was unheard of for a woman in the 1400s. You know, for the male listeners out there, like what books would you recommend so that we can learn? Because I learned so much from Queen Isabella by reading that biography that, that we can learn from women. There are so many. And I always hate when I um, am asked this question only because I know I'm going to forget like half of them. But I will because I know you have a largely military audience. I will say that I would read Ann Dunwoody's book, A Higher Standard. I would read and she's the first, you know, four star woman in the U.S. Army. I would read General Halstead, Becky Halstead's book, 24-7, First Lead Yourself. She self-published it, but it's really excellent. Um, yeah, and the military and non-military, but I think it's called It's My Country Too that Jerry Bell and Tracy Crow wrote about women who have served over all of the different time periods in U.S. history. Those are probably three good starting places. There's a lot of great stuff being written by women veterans, and so I would actively seek that out and pick them up. There's a great biography of Elizabeth, Queen Elizabeth. You know, again, I hate these questions because I can never come up with them right on the spur of the moment, but I feel like I should send you a list for your show notes. Anyway, I would start there. Start with General Halstead's and uh, General Dunwoody's books, and then It's My Country Too by Jerry Bell and Tracy Crow. And then, of course, The Grit Factor, because... Everyone should read that too. (laughs) Of course, the grit factor. Start with the grit factor and then go from there. (laughs) I'm going to try to throw you a lifeline here and I'll I'll share a story with me. And one of the first books that I read that I really kind of got me, um, I guess, changed my viewpoint of women and and leadership was Daring Greatly by Brene Brown. And my wife gave me that book after she read it. Oh, yeah. It really had an impact on me. 
the way that she spoke, you know, it wasn't, it's not just a female audience that she's king towards. It really is a great book for anybody. Oh, it's fabulous. Actually, there are various resources like Brene Brown. I, of, I often, and this isn't really about leadership. This is just a woman who has important things to say that we all need to read. But as Susan Scott's Fierce Conversations, I would tell every leader to read that as well. But really getting into some of the history and understanding that history has always been written for whoever is in power. And that is just the nature of history. And so it's not just from the gender perspective, but also from other perspectives. It's really important, I think, to educate ourselves on people who have been incredible leaders and their history simply hasn't been history books. But we have an opportunity to change that, I think, as a culture by really doing that work to educate ourselves. Joe and I talk a lot before our shows and we talk about what we want to discuss and what type of questions we want to ask, but we really want it to be fluid. And one of the things that we try to, to keep it is something that's applicable. And we wanted to make this show you know, about leadership and not just you know, from a female perspective, but just leadership in general, because you, know, you shouldn't always view it as female male perspective. And we want to get to that place where it's not viewed that way. But I'm going to ask you a pretty in-depth question. Hopefully you okay. can give us a good answer here. But one of my favorite interviews was Tupac um, uh, years ago. He sat down with this gentleman and he said that he's doing God's work. Tupac thinks that he's doing God's work because if he wasn't doing God's work, he wouldn't feel oppressed. And that makes me think that we are put into situations. And I believe God, universe, however you want to phrase it, puts us in situations because we have lessons to learn. And they're not going to take us out of those situations until we've learned our lessons. So my question to you is, what lessons does the world need to learn about oppression, about racism, about prejudice? Well, as a white woman, I feel um, totally unqualified to answer the question. Uh, but I think that it, it and it's a, something that I think this past year has highlighted some of that in really important ways. I hope for anybody who's paying attention, I will say there are people who have have tried to dismiss it. And that really makes me, I want to say sad. It really makes me angry, actually. But I think we all have a lot of education to do on what the experience is of somebody who is not in the majority. And you know, I can speak to that from the gender perspective, but I think from the race perspective, I have to educate myself just as much as anybody else does. I mean, I grew up in Alaska, right? It's not um, a very diverse population. Now I live in Washington state, with, with which this has the same issues. I will say the most diverse environment that I ever served in or, or worked in or lived in and, um, and actually Microsoft as well. And I think you learn in those environments that everybody, right? And it doesn't really matter who you are or where you came from, it, it matters how you contribute. So I'm grateful for that exposure. But in the meantime, you know, we're, our church group is starting to read Cast, The Origin of Our Discontents by Isabel Wilkerson. And I'm really grateful for it. I mean, I think it's incredibly eye-opening and again, goes to help me to understand how much systems have been crafted in a way that I was never taught and I was never aware of. And I guess I never pushed myself to learn so we've um, been working to both watch movies and, and read books that will help to inform us about that. And I, I just hope that we can be smarter at the end of all of this. Um, but I think it is making the real effort to say, whatever I might have thought about this or, or known, I don't know enough, thought enough about it. Everybody, and if we are talking about God or the universe, I mean, I think every human being is sacred, has, should be considered to be sacred and, and have the opportunity to fully live into who they're meant to be. And it's our job to help to build a society that permits. Shannon, you've got such an amazing background. You've got just this vast variety of experiences, both in uniform and out of uniform. 
I have to ask, you know, we've got a, um, a whole new crop of leaders in the next year. They're going to be taking battalion and brigade commands. And so what advice would you give them for taking charge of these units? I would give them the same advice. I'm sure they've heard this, but I don't think anyone can internalize it enough, which is what my battalion commander said when I was promoted to first lieutenant. I always sort of laugh when I tell this story because I think of that looking back as an advanced driver's permit. (laughs) But he said, as we were standing in the back, dimly lit room in the battalion headquarters at Simmons Army Airfield at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, very few people back there. And I remember him saying, the only good use of any increased power you will ever have is the increased responsibility to take care of your people. And I give credit to then Lieutenant Colonel and uh, later Major General John McDonald for that. And it is really, I think, a great thing to remember that as you up in your responsibility, the most important job you have is to take care of and develop your people and to do that equally and to do that in a way that encourages diversity and diverse perspectives. And at the end of the day, when you do that, you will achieve mission accomplishment. So it's about taking care of your people. Full stop. So you brought up start with why and, and Simon Sinek, and that's one of the questions that we like to ask. And you know, I'll just let our listeners know if you want to know what true grit is, um, you can look at this podcast episode because we recorded for about 40 minutes before we realized that we had some technical issues. So we had to start all over again. And thank you so much for for sticking with us and, and really being a trooper through another full interview. But I feel like we got to know you much better the second time around, Shannon. So thank you very much for your patience. And you guys are such, you're so pleasant to speak with. It's absolutely a pleasure. (laughs) To kind of wind down, that's one of the final questions we like to ask our our guest is what is your why? So, you know, what, what is your why behind grit and what is your why still motivating you to do what you're doing today? So I always like to say that why doesn't go nearly far enough. So um, I'm going to tell you the exercise that I ended up pulling out in the last several months that I'm now doing with clients that goes beyond the grit factor, starts with this five whys, drilling down into your core purpose. And I came up with four that are really how I'm thinking about things now. And one continues the idea of service. I think I have an obligation and an opportunity and maybe it's a vocation or a calling to to really give back and contribute. And part of that is to say, hey, for those of people who are coming into challenges that are similar to those that I faced, I have a responsibility to offer something to them and to do my best to make that meaningful and ideally transformative. And that is really behind the grip factor. So that's this concept of service. But I also realized that that wasn't enough. And so the other three pieces that I've really been looking, learning, I like to think of myself as a lifelong learner. I love to learn. I love to, um, to, to read and to continue to take in new experiences and try to find ways to apply them or in a way that tributes. I think that is also about loving. And um, I came down to love because it was, it's my family for sure, but it's also, you know, people that I want to serve and people that are clients and friends and my community. So it's, it's bigger than that. Um, it's also God, right? For me anyway. And then um, it's creativity as well. And, and I re- realized that creativity was a piece that was not being fed in my, in how other people may do better at this, but um, in how I lived uh, both in my service in the military and in the corporate world. And so I'm incredibly grateful to be at a place now where I can combine this together. So it's really service, learning, love, and creativity. 
those are my wives. They're broad enough that they apply to a lot of different things, but I believe that we have responsibility to contribute as meaningfully as we possibly can on the short time that we're here on this planet. I hope I can use those four things to find more and more ways to do that. You talk about in your book and you've talked about on your past interviews that you just don't quit. You just don't give up. And you talked about the incremental approach to doing that, that you start small. And I love that because when you're talking to people who are really trying to maybe run into trouble or trying to better themselves, but aren't at the level that you're at, they can relate to you by saying, Hey, start small. You know, if you hear some, you know, a person who runs ultra marathons telling you don't give up, don't quit. That's a little different than just saying, Hey, whether it's the first step towards fear or whether it's you want to run a marathon, you have to run a mile first. So go out there and run that mile and take those small steps towards not quitting. Exactly. No, that's, that is so true. It's just taking, you know, success is just sticking with it. (laughs) You know, it's consistency. And I have wondered about a book about that, but it wouldn't be very exciting because a lot of it's not exciting. It's just about sticking with it and putting one foot in front of the other and getting back to it day after day after day. And, you know, most people don't do that. So I think that's a great, uh, great perspective. It's about not putting one foot in the, in front of the other. And there are times when it is the time to quit. I will say it is, there are times when it's time to pivot. That is the real criticism of the concept of grit is that it doesn't acknowledge that as well as that it doesn't acknowledge the need for systems change. And I would say it's a both and answer. There are times when it, when you should move on, there's ways to make that decision. And there are times when you need to work to change the system but usually it's a both and answer. You need to change the system and you've got to stick with it. You've got to keep on keeping on. Yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, with the, with the blog, we started, started it seven years ago and, you know, it was one post at a time, one page at a time. And then, you know, we're still here doing it seven years later. And same thing with the podcast, one episode or, or re-recording an episode like we did tonight. <laughs> And it's just, it's amazing that once you stick with something for a while, you can kind of look back behind you and realize what, whatever you've created, what you've led. And it it really is rewarding. And you've got to push through some of what Seth Godin calls the dip, right? I mean, you've got to get through the times when maybe you're not quite as interested, or maybe you there's a bright, shiny object somewhere else. You've got to just keep going before you get to a place where you can make a meaningful decision on whether or not to stick with something. And again, that's something that most people don't do, but it's certainly an opportunity. And it's not the hard one. you know. It's just staying with it. Yeah, Shannon, again, we can't thank you enough for coming on. And when this podcast becomes huge, you'll always get to say that you were the first female guest on our show. Hey, I don't get to say that all that often anymore, right? But I'm grateful not only that I've that I'm your first, but also that I will not be the last. So thank you both so much for all questions and a wonderful conversation. Yeah. Thank you, Shannon, for coming on the show and for writing Grip Factor. It's one of my favorite books of 2020. And um, my book review of your book will be in Army Magazine in the January 21 issue. Oh my gosh. Oh, that's fabulous. Well, thank you so much. Well, you guys are, are great. Thanks so much. And I really enjoyed the conversation. I'd love to, I, you, you don't need my support, but let me know how we can continue to be in dialogue. Absolutely. Thank you again to all our listeners for joining us on another episode of From the Green Notebook. Check us out at fromthegreennotebook.com where you can download past episodes, read some of our previous blog posts, and sign up for our monthly reading list and Sunday email. If you enjoy the podcast so far, please subscribe and give us five stars on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Twitter at FTG Notebook, as well as Instagram and Facebook. You can find us by just searching from the Green Notebook.
So this is Jacob Goronsky signing off and hope you tune in to our next episode. Mm-hmm.